Thanks for checking out this sermon from Redemption Church in Seattle, Washington, where we are enjoying Jesus, loving people, and making disciples. If you'd like to learn more about redemption, you can go to redemptionseattle.com. Or better yet, come be our guest on a Sunday here in Green Lake. Welcome again to Redemption. My name is Drew. I'm one of the other pastors here. And as Alex shared and as we heard through worship and part of our liturgy, we just started last week in the book of James. Um, Jesus, uh, younger brother James, uh, penned this book. And we're going through it kind of step by step. We're going to spend several months in it. And it's got such good practical implications for our life, kind of this overarching theme. Alex actually did a fantastic job introducing it last year, or last, last year. <laughs> Woo, yeah, and it stuck with us. Um, last week, if you weren't here, make sure to go back and listen to the first sermon on the podcast. You'll get a great introduction and background on James. But just real briefly, kind of this overarching theme that we see throughout the book is this tension between faith and works and what it means to live the Christian life. And this beautiful relationship that we don't, we don't work for our salvation, we don't do that, we don't believe that, but absolutely God has called us to good works out of our salvation. That's our motivation because we have a relationship with Jesus. You know, as we get into this passage today, there are some things that go together really well, right? Like tacos and Tuesday. Amen? Great. Fantastic. It's Cinco de Mayo, by the way, if you just woke up. Um, Tacos and Tuesday go together, fantastic. There are other things, though, that don't go together well at all, like kale and county fairs, right? Um, Unless it's like fried kale, I wouldn't even want it then. But uh, today, in this passage that we're going to look at, this is one of those passages where it's like, how does that go together? How does this really make sense? This idea of count it all joy and then the introduction of trials, And so we're going to dive right into this. We're going to spend our time in these few verses, but we're going to see how these go together, how these make sense inside of our faith. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, thanks for being here. We really mean that. We don't just say that. We want you here. If you're skeptical, if you're just trying to figure things out, if if you're just interested in what is this whole Jesus thing, what's this church thing, what's this God thing, it's fantastic that you're here. And we're so glad. And for all of us, we can relate to what James is going to talk about this morning. But what I want to do, because this is, this is a weighty subject for sure, and at the same time there's joy attached to it, is I just want to pray for us. Now I want you to pray with me. Specifically that our hearts would be at rest and we'd be able to receive what God has for us, no matter where we are this morning. Because some of you this morning, you have a heavy weight on your soul. And others around you may know about that weight, or maybe it's been a weight that you've been bearing on your own. For some of you, you've had a heavy weight on your soul. For some of us, for all of us, we will have certain weights that come along in our life. And so pray with me. Uh, Not that we would just roll through this passage, that we would check it off and that we would leave, but that God would literally speak to us through the power of the Holy Spirit into our lives and continue to transform us to be more like Christ this morning. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is from you. Thank you that we can trust in it. And we pray simply this morning that we would be open to receive what you have for each of us, no matter where we find ourselves this morning, no matter where you find us this morning. Thank you for your promise that you love us, that you care for us, that you're not walking away from us, no matter how difficult things may be, 
no matter how challenging faith may seem. So Jesus, be with our church now. May we receive your word, and Holy Spirit, would you apply it to our lives? We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. All right, so James chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 2. Last week, we just looked at the introduction. Alex gave an overview, really set us up well. We looked at this idea of James coming very humbly, saying, James, a servant, right? So he lays himself very humbly before us. Here's where verse 2 picks up. Let's just start to read it, okay? It says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various, when you meet trials of various kinds. Now let's stop right there for a second. It's so important that we draw a distinction between what joy is and what happiness is. Because in our Western culture, what we've done is we've made these two synonymous. We've used happiness and we've used joy oftentimes as the same thing. And that can be incredibly confusing because when you face something difficult, you're like, I can't be happy in that. There's no way. There's no happiness in this thing that I'm going through right now. And you're right, there, there very well may not be happiness in that. In fact, that'd be very weird if there was. And that's why it's so important that we define joy correctly and we understand the difference between joy and happiness. Otherwise, this gets kind of convoluted. It gets mixed up. Here's the difference. Let me, let me just spell this out really clearly. Joy is distinctly a Christian word and a Christian thing. Here, here's, here's what we mean by this. It is, in essence, the reverse of happiness. Happiness is the result of what happens in our life. Circumstantial. Good thing comes along, you're temporarily happy. You're excited, you're happy. That thing passes, the happiness wears off. Good thing comes along, you're really excited, you're really happy. Something difficult comes along, you're no longer happy. Totally circumstantial. But joy is different. It's so important that we hear this. Joy is the result of what is in our life. Specifically, our new identity in Christ. Joy is the result of what is, not of what happens, but what is, what is foundational. Joy is the result of our new identity in Christ. And as Tim Keller says here, and he kind of tags on to the end, joy is also the result of us delighting in God's beauty and worth. Joy goes much deeper. It draws from such a deeper well. It's not circumstantial. It's not based upon what comes tomorrow. It's not based on the good or bad. It's not like rolling a dice. Joy is based on what is. What isn't going anywhere? What is true about you? And if you have a relationship with Jesus today, you are in Christ. That is true about you. And no one can take that away from you. No one. Jesus promises that. Satan himself cannot take you away from Jesus. And so we hold on to that. That's where we draw from. Is there a new identity in Christ? And why is this distinction so important? Because of what it says there in the second half of that verse, that we will face trials of various kinds. We will all face trials throughout our life. And let me just say this, let me make this clear. This does not mean there's something wrong with you. This doesn't mean God's out to get you. All the punishment that God ever had for you was poured out on Jesus completely. It's no more punishment. You don't have to look over your shoulder with God. 
You don't have to wonder when something difficult comes along, oh my gosh, is that God punishing me for X, Y, Z? Absolutely not. He already punished Christ on the cross. He pinned all of your sins, all of your background, all of your past, all of your future on that cross, and it's paid for. And notice it says here that we count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. Joy in, not for the trial. We're obviously not joyful that something difficult has come our way. We're not like the early Christians. There were some, some uh, Christians, uh, earlier Christians, when, when people started to go, missionaries started to go and minister to people who hadn't yet heard the gospel, and they started to be martyred for their faith. There was kind of this weird fad that popped up where Christians, certain Christians started to find joy. They started to look to be martyred because they thought that that's that that's what they were supposed to do. And so they were actually joyful or happy in the martyrdom itself. That's, that's not what we are. We're not saying, well, this came along. I'm so glad that it did. No, no, no. There's a distinction there. It's, it's joy in the trial that we face. It's not joy for the trial, but it's joy in it. And it says here, these various kinds of trials. This is the Greek word actually for polka dot, where we get polka dot from. Kind of interesting, right? Polka dots. They come in various colors. They come in various shapes and sizes, and every trial is the same. Each one of you has and will and maybe are facing something unique. It's not the same as the person next to you. It's a different size, maybe. Maybe it's a different color. It's a different shade. Maybe it's even a little bit of a different shape. We all are going to face different things. For some of us, this may be a trial that's a temptation. It's some area of our life where we've been wrestling with this temptation to sin, to go against God, where it's difficult and it's a trial, and maybe it's been there for a long time. Maybe it still remained. Maybe it's this daily battle, or maybe it just popped up. For some of us, it's something related to our health or the health of someone that you know, someone that's close to you, and it's a trial, and it's a real deal, and it, and it has these implications on your life. For others, maybe it's emotional. You know, maybe it's psychological. Maybe it's something you battle with. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe it's depression. Maybe it's just the loss that you experienced at some point or that you've experienced recently. For some, it's this financial trial. It's this difficulty. How are we going to Gosh, how are we going to get to the end of the week? How are we going to buy groceries this week? What are we going to do? This job loss, maybe career, maybe it's family, maybe it's a difficult with, in marriage or with children. Various trials. You can apply anything to this. It's this polka dot of trials. Think about where you are. Think about where you've been. And it also says in this, count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds, meaning that joy being applied to all trials, not just some trials, not only the trials that last less than a month, right? Okay, I'll apply joy there. I'll remember who I am in Christ. I'll remember who Christ is. And so I'll, I'll find joy in knowing that. No, 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 not, not just in a certain time or, or only trials that have a clear end in sight. No, it says count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. All, every, any trial. Why is it important that we do this and that we understand this? Well, the next verse makes it really clear. For you know, so count it all joy, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Here's what we know. Temptation to sin is never from God. 
makes it really clear that it's not. But how about trials? Are they from God? Yes and no. Not always. Some difficulties, some challenges, some trials are simply a result of a broken world that we live in and sin. Things that have happened that God also weeps over. He he finds no joy in it. But it's a result of the broken world that we live in. Not that we'll always live in. Not that we'll always be a part of because there's a better day coming. There's, There's a new day coming. But some trials are not from God. They're simply a result of the world we live in. Some trials, are they from God? Some trials are. Some trials are from God, but always with purpose. Always with purpose. And ultimately for our good. Hear that. For your good. That no trial, no difficulty, God is not wasting any of it. God cares about all of it. I love that the way the message says this. It says, you know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. This testing of our faith, that there is purpose in the exposure, in bringing this area of our life into the light, this area that's not easy, that our faith is tested, but it's tested for a reason. You see, joy is only possible if there's purpose and a greater purpose than the trial itself. That's the only way that joy is possible. And it says that the fruit of these trials is endurance and maturity, steadfastness, the ability to endure, the ability to go through difficult things but not throw in the towel, the ability to go through difficult things but not turn our back on God, the ability to go through difficult things when they come and to not be completely knocked over. This endurance. And it also produces maturity, this full effect that we may be made perfect and complete. Mature in what? Mature in Christ. That we are becoming more like Christ as Christ is in us. The point here, what this would have referred to if they were reading this, it would have pointed to the refining of gold. That's how people would have understood this. This idea that gold is sent repeatedly through these scorching fires, not to make fear of the fire, but to burn away any impurities, anything that doesn't belong. And so to what end do we go through trials? We go through trials in the sense that God is using all of those to make us more like Christ. It's not because God is mean. It's not because God's heavy-handed. It's not because God wants bad for you. In fact, he wants the opposite. The most important thing about your life is not what you will face, but it is who you are becoming in Christ. And so God works on us in the midst of the difficult. He refines us in the midst of the difficult. Is that always easy? Absolutely not. That's why it's so important that we have a gentle God invites us to come to him. So does this mean, since it says that we need to endure, that we need to let it have its full effect, that we shouldn't ask God to, gosh, God, would you take this? Would you do something here? Absolutely not. What we see even in Paul's life in the New Testament, it says he has a thorn in the flesh and he asked God three times to remove it from him and God doesn't remove it. And what does Paul say? He says, your grace is sufficient for me and my weakness you're made strong. 
absolutely, we can go to God. He invites us to go to him. But the bigger question is, what if God doesn't take that away immediately? Do we just, do we turn and run? How do we respond? Would we respond like Paul? Would we say, even in the midst of this, even though I don't want it, even though this is difficult, even though I wish this was never a part of my life, even though I wish this never came into existence, God, even if you don't remove this, I'm going to trust that your grace is sufficient for me. I'm going to hold on to my identity in Christ. I'm not going to turn. I'm not going to run away, but I'm going to trust that there's purpose in it. And so I'm, I'm not going to run, but I'm going to place my faith in you. How do we respond when God doesn't take this thing away immediately. And when we find ourselves tempted to run, when we find ourselves absolutely running, when we find ourselves trying to go our own way, we need to be reminded that those are the areas in our life that God is working on us, that he's growing us, that he's refining us. There's purpose in it. Verse five, it it says this, connected to these trials that we will face inevitably that you may be facing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, such an important word there, with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed in the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded, unstable in all his ways." I think this is incredibly intentional, this idea of a storm, that the idea of being tossed in a wave is used here, because what do trials do in our life? I think if we're honest, we know that trials bring a certain darkness over our lives at times, and it can make it really difficult for us to see clearly. It does test our faith. It's hard to see what's ahead. It's hard to see even our hand in front of our face. Trials cast this dark cloud, this storm in our life, and it puts us in a vulnerable state like a ship in the night in the middle of a storm being tossed back and forth looking for the lighthouse ahead that's actually going to guide us to safety. And without faith, what we do, it says here, is we go back and forth We go back and forth because what we're doing is we're going back and forth between trusting God and finding the way on our own. That's what it means to be double-minded. Okay, I might trust God today. God didn't come through in the way that I wanted to. Okay, I'm going to try to figure it out on my own over here. And we go back and forth like this wave being tossed. But with faith, the beauty is here, with faith, no matter how big the waves get, no matter how big the storm rages, no matter how long it lasts, the constant light of Christ shines through and it guides us home every single time. Jesus has not lost anyone yet in the midst of any trial, and I promise you today, because his word promises you, you will not be the first. Whatever you are facing, whatever you will face, whatever you have faced, it is not too big for Jesus today. He is so much greater. Regardless of your resistance to him in the past, I love this. It says that he will give generously to all without reproach, meaning he will give you wisdom generously without holding a grudge against you. So you may say, well, last time I faced something, I tried to do it on my own. I'm sure God's not happy with me. No, 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 go to him. He's not holding a grudge. He's not a father that holds a grudge against his children. His arms are always open and he constantly and always wants you to come to him, to be single-minded, to look to Christ, not to yourself, to lay the trial down, to pick up faith. 
so important here. There's this big word at the very beginning of this passage I want to go back to. It just says count it. It's so important that we don't miss that. Why is it? Because count it means that we look ahead, that we look forward. Christ didn't resist temptation in his life to leave you to fight temptation on your own. He didn't overcome trials, even death itself, to allow you to be consumed by them. He didn't take your sin and nail it to a cross so that you could be crucified on a cross of lies and doubts that come along with your trials. He counted the cost of the cross and he saw the lives that would be set free, literally your life. He saw you, once a prisoner, being set free. He saw that ahead of him as he went toward the cross, the greatest trial. And he even went to the Father and said, if you will, take this from me. Let the cup pass from me. But God said, this will rest upon you because I have a purpose in it. I'm going to free millions upon millions of lives through your life being laid down. To the point of his death itself, Jesus endured the cross. He saw the cross before him, but he also saw you before him. And in that, there's joy. That all was not lost. And how do we find joy in this? We remember who we are in Christ, and we remember what Christ has done, that he didn't stay dead, that he didn't stay in the grave, that he overcame your worst, that he overcame your worst sin, your worst past, he overcame your health, he overcame your doubts, he overcame the thing that that person did to you five years ago that's still an open wound, he overcame the thing that's going to happen five years from now, he overcame all of it, not so that we could find or overcome our trials in and of ourselves. That's not what we need. We can't do it. We will fall apart. What we need in the midst of the darkest storm is not to try to swim to shore on our own, but it's to hold up our hands open, asking God, would you please draw me out? And every time he says that he will. It may not be in your timing. It may not be today. It may not be tomorrow. And we don't need to wish for death but we do know that a better day is coming when everything will be made new, when there are no more trials, when you don't have to worry about health, when you don't have to worry about finances, when you don't have to stress over certain areas of your life or trials are coming down and raining down upon you, there's a new heaven and a new earth coming and in Christ you're gonna be a part of it. And so we're able to count it all joy knowing that it's not for nothing, but that there is purpose in it and that we are becoming more like Christ as we get closer to Christ. Every day that you live here on earth, if you have a relationship with him, you are one day closer to being with Jesus in perfect eternity. And sometimes it's knowing that and that alone that keeps us holding on. Some of you know that. Some of you are holding on by a thread this morning. And it's not your own white knuckle power that's keeping you there. It's knowing that you're one day closer to being with Jesus. It's knowing that God has promised that this isn't going to last forever. It's knowing that there is purpose in it. I love this. He counted the cross. So what we see is that trials will come, but God not only promises that he's going to be with us in the gutters through the power of the Holy Spirit, but he promises to pull us out and to reset our eyes on the riches of his grace and the promise of his love. And here's the truth, he'll keep doing it over and over and over again, no matter what comes in your life, perfecting you little by little, making you more like Jesus little by little, as long as we will reach out our hand in faith and not doubt. 
as long as we will believe that God is truly in control and that he is good. I think one of the big things with trials is we can go to several different places as we think about this and we bring it to a conclusion. I think we can often minimize the trial itself, meaning that we say, this is really that big of a deal. We look at someone else and we say, this isn't as big as the thing that they're facing or the thing that they're going through, and we can, we can minimize it. I think at the same time, we can also maximize it, meaning that we allow this thing in our life to become our whole life. We allow it to define us, to become our identity. Both of those being dangerous, not a place that God wants us to go. Where should we go? We acknowledge it. We bring it out into the light. We, we admit that this is a real part of what we're facing, whether it's just what we're facing today or what we've faced for a while we acknowledge this, that it has an emotional effect, that it has a spiritual effect, that it's testing our faith. And at the same time as we acknowledge that and we share that with God and we share that with the community around us, we also are called to, by faith, remember who God is, remember our identity in Christ, remember what is And by faith to ask that God would allow us to walk through it and to grow us by it. Even though that can be incredibly difficult, it can be painful, but trusting that there is purpose in it. That God is doing this divine work in our lives to grow our endurance, to grow our maturity as we get closer and closer to being reunited with our Father, to being reunited with our big brother And so we count it all joy, even in the midst of the trial. You know, we use this word various at the beginning. We talked about how we get this word. It really means polka dot. There's a variety of shapes and sizes in our trials. What's also very interesting is that Paul uses this same terminology sometimes when he talks about God's grace in the New Testament. Why is that important? I think it's important because we don't have a cookie-cutter relationship with God where he just throws a blanket of grace over every difficult thing that we face. We have a relational, personal God who knows every single trial, and he applies the same unique, polka-dotted grace to that unique trial. And that's so good to know. He knows your pain right now. He knows your heart. He knows what you're wrestling with. He knows what's ahead of you. And for every unique thing that you face, is his unique grace applied to it out of love, out of a promise that he's keeping this covenant with you. And so if you feel like you're in a place today where maybe there's been something difficult that you've gone through or you're going through and you've kind of minimized it or you've pushed it down or it's become your identity but you've kind of hidden it away, maybe this morning it means acknowledging it. Maybe it means bringing it out so that it can be exposed and first and foremost with God, acknowledging it before Him, confessing that to Him, bringing it into the light. For some, maybe, as we said, this trial has become an identity piece. This now feels like who I am, kind of this umbrella over me, and it's defined me. Maybe this morning is confessing that to God. I'm sorry this, for the, allowing this to become my identity. Would you please remind me of my true identity in you? 
And would you give me wisdom to walk through this? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. And for others, maybe it's just laying that thing down. Maybe you've been working so hard to get through it. Maybe you've put your head down and you're trying to run through it and God's saying, slow down. I'm trying to teach you. I'm trying to grow you here. Let it do its work. Maybe this morning is about laying down that hurt, laying down that pain, laying down that temptation and picking up faith. Saying, God, I know you have far more control than I do. I know that you have purpose in this. I I may not be able to see it clearly. It seems difficult. It's painful, but I'm going to trust you by faith. Would we lay that down? Would we pick up faith? Would we pray for wisdom? So where are you this morning? Where do we need to go with this? Trials are inevitable, but, and they will come and go. But what we see here is that the love of Christ, the grace of God, his goodness and his purpose, those stand firm. And so we ground our identity in what is not in what comes.